All right, so um, as Jason said earlier, and if you've been around, you already know this, but if this is kind of the first go around, if you're listening, um, or if this is the, if you haven't been around more than a year, every single year since we've been the neighborhood church, we start with our five core practices. Um, And we do that, and we call them core practices because they're not just things that we believe. You know, beliefs are important, um, but these are things that we really try to achieve. We try to practice in our daily life. Um, Our five core practices are following Jesus, loving neighbors, growing disciples, creating space, and making peace. And so tonight, this is the first one, and I'm going to talk about following Jesus. Um, And I'm really excited about it. And um, I think we have a slide, and we're just going to go ahead and start by reading this core practice. We commit to be with Jesus, to learn from Jesus, how to live like Jesus in our everyday lives. So there's kind of a theme there. It's Jesus. Um, We don't ever become Jesus himself. We're not the Savior. Um, But we do learn from him. And, um, And it is happening in our everyday lives. So... That's what I'm going to talk about tonight. Um, I, after I kind of prepared all this, by the way, I went back and listened because Adam has actually always um, spoke on this. I have act- I've done the Love Neighbor one. I know we've had different people do some of the other ones. But this is the first time someone other than Adam is doing the Follow Jesus core practice. And he, uh, it's kind of interesting um, to go back years, especially when we're thinking like pre-pandemic and thinking about that, how different life was then, but how some things just never change. Um, And he would always start with this. Um, How many times in the Bible do you think Jesus says, worship me? And if you remember or you know, anybody want to guess? How many times Jesus says, hey, guys, worship me? It is zero. Um, but he says to follow him several times. It kind of depends upon which gospel and which translation, whether the word he actually uses is follow, but it's several. In Matthew in particular, the word follow, they were following Jesus, or where Jesus said, follow me, happens, it, it comes up quite often. And I'll, we'll look at two of those um, here tonight. <coughs> and so I wanted to talk about just the general idea of being a follower, Um, A moment ago, I let the kids out, and I kind of gave a little wink and a nod, and I was like, hey, kids, follow your leader down the hall. And if you remember when you were a kid, you might have even played the game follow the leader. And the idea, if you remember that game, is just to do exactly what your leader does. It's to win the game, really. That was always my goal when playing it. And um, I was quite competitive. Um, And... In order to win the game, you really had to watch the leader very closely. And if you played the game with the same leader, you kind of started to know, oh, they kind of do the same five moves over and over again. Um, So you kind of got to know. Uh, If you knew your leader, you knew the moves. You you could even anticipate the moves. Our kids are walking down the hallway. They're getting into their classroom. They're following their teacher. And they're going to learn, hopefully, about Jesus. I'm not sure what the exact lesson is, but I'm sure it has something to do with Jesus. Um, And um, it's not just going to be about words, but they're going to talk a lot about actions. But 
there is another use of the word follower, and um, it's kind of interesting that I bring this up. I'm not a huge social media person. If, like, I'm friends probably on Facebook with a lot of the people in this room, and I never post. I probably follow several of you on Instagram or Twitter, but I never post. I rarely like, and even if you did something direct to me, I probably won't see it for weeks, all right, even if you're my best friend. Um, so I'm not a great social media person, but occasionally I do like to get on social media and creep around, and we have these things called followers um, on social media, and they're not always called followers, but you get the gist. So um, I want to talk about the different kind of followers on social media, and I'm going to kind of use some language that makes it really obvious where I'm going with this. So you got the followers like me, okay, the creepers. I'm not trying to be creepy, but I am being really silent in the background, and all I'm doing is watching. I'm reading, I'm thinking about it, and maybe I talk to my friends about it, but I'm never engaging with the people I follow on Twitter or whatever the case may be. Um, you, we could call them, nicer phrase might be a casual observer. Um, we've also got the supporters, and they're hot and cold usually. They're like, yeah, I like what this person's saying until I don't, and then I'm going to tell you. I love it or I hate it, and I'm ready to tell you how much I hate the thing you just said in whatever way I want. You've got the people that are so faithful and devoted. It doesn't matter what the person says. They're going to stick by them no matter what they say. They're going to go, yep, I'm on that person's bandwagon, so to speak, and it doesn't matter what they say. I'm going to agree with it because I've I staked my claim with them. Um, you've even got your extreme radicals, and I'm not going to say too much, especially because it's being recorded and put out there on the Internet, uh, but you've got your extreme radicals. We all know what that looks like. Um, and then a whole different class of people is you've got the people that know the person in real life. So if you can imagine there's a celebrity and they've got millions of followers maybe, but they know quite a few people that they've worked on movies with, people that really know their character, and they're even interacting on social media or just the normal people. I follow a few different educators and teachers and people who write about education, and several of them I've actually gotten to meet. And so I kind of know who they are. I know that it's not just something that they're writing about, but it's something that they really do care about. And that's a totally different type of relationship because that's where you could even text the person and say, that's so interesting that she put that out there. So I really tried to make it obvious where I was going with that. We're going to see these different type of characters come up in the time of Jesus. Um, so when we think about Jesus and when he says, follow me, or we talk about following Jesus, I don't know why I quoted that, but that specific phrase, follow Jesus, especially in the time when he walked on the earth. Um, let's make sure we understand how they would have interpreted it. So there is a verse in Isaiah, Isaiah 2, 3, where it's not, it's talking about God and you know, it doesn't use the name Jesus here, but it says he will teach us his ways that we may walk in his paths. So that is a verse that they would have been familiar with. They would have been very familiar, uh, the people who uh, were educated, certainly, um, that were religious. They would have been familiar 
with the book of Isaiah. They would have known a lot of these things. Um, And they would have been very familiar with the idea of an apprenticeship. So when I say apprenticeship, what are you thinking of? Like, what job still has an apprenticeship? Anybody know? What'd you say? Ooh, tattoo artist. Yeah, they do. Hands-on trades, plumbers, electricians. What was that? Wait, I still didn't hear that. Welders. Thank you. Um, Teachers also have apprenticeship. It's a little bit formal and different, and it's very like you do it for this amount of time, and it's not actually required. So we have an idea, but at that time, almost everything was treated like an apprenticeship. It wasn't like, hey, go over there, go to school, read a book, and now you're ready to go do this thing. Um, Even just learning how to live life. People didn't take a cooking class to learn how to cook for their family. They just did it as they grew up. So even if we're not talking about formal apprenticeships for jobs, the idea of learning by doing, by being with the person who is a master of their craft, was very natural to them, much more than it is to us. Um, And so we get into the book of Matthew, Okay, so let's go ahead and turn there. If you can turn to the book of Matthew, we're going to start with chapter 4. So I'm going to jump around a little bit in Matthew, but we're going to kind of hone in on a few different verses. We're going to start when he calls his very first disciples, and these are verses you might be pretty familiar with. So in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, it says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw... Um, He saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called to them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So we get these first disciples as fishermen, and it's kind of an interesting story because we first get the idea of follow me, not just listen to my words, and do what I say, but come follow me, and I'm going to show you a new way of life. Um, These guys, these fishermen, weren't really living wrong. They weren't doing, even in their mind, sinful things. They were maybe not the best people in the minds of people. If you're like, we're going to start Um, We're going to bring in the kingdom of God. They might not have been who anybody thought might have been the first choice of God incarnate, but they weren't evil. They weren't sinners, so to speak, like how some of the other people that they actually called sinners. Um, So it is shocking, maybe, at that time, certainly, um, that he called them. But he basically says, what you're doing, I'm going to show you a whole new way to do that. Um, 
And that's something Jesus is still calling us to do today. Um, and I always think about this, when I, especially when I was a kid, just the idea of if you're really there, and these guys are just doing their job, and they just drop their nets and walk off, and their father's like, what's going on here? I mean, it probably is, there's a lot more to the story, and I always want to know more to the story. I mention that a lot. Um, and as they follow Jesus, I imagine them saying, okay, we're following you, now what? And so even that day, they probably ate a meal or two. They would have maybe slept. Um, they would have talked to other people. Um, you know, when we read through the actions and words of Jesus, there's so much not there. But I like to use my imagination, not to rewrite scriptures, but just to think about this as something that actually happened. And how would I have acted if I was there? How would I have observed this? And I think God gives us an imagination, and I think there's things that the Holy Spirit can do with us if we explore those things. Like I said, we're not rewriting scripture. We're just thinking, wow, what would happen if I was there? How would I have reacted? And that probably would change throughout my life. Um, but we know from the story of Matthew. So if you have your Bible open um, or the app open, this is not going to be on a slide. And you just kind of look and glance through some of the titles of the chapters. Do you see even just the title of the next chapter? Jesus heals the sick. And then we get the big one. The Sermon on the Mount. We get the Beatitudes, and then we get all the different things where Jesus is preaching to people, and he's saying things in a completely new way. Um, he's blowing their minds, so to speak. All right, and as he goes, there's a few times when it says that people followed him. And we know from, if you read through all the Gospels, we know that people following Jesus not being called to follow him, but people just following him, happened all the time, so much so that at some point he needs to get away because there's so many people. He needs to have a space that's just him and God and just a chance to breathe, and that's a really good cue to us, and we'll hear more about creating space on another night of our, for our core practices. Um, and these disciples, as they followed Jesus, they would have seen him. They would have seen him heal the sick. They would have seen him say things, they would have seen him reference the scriptures. They would have seen him talking to people who, even as a fisherman, like I said, they were not bad people, but they maybe weren't the top picks for starting a new type of religion. Um, but he, they would have seen Jesus talking to people that even they didn't associate with. There's even a time when Jesus is speaking, it's in the Sermon of, on the Mount, and he's talking about loving people. And he's like, hey, so what if you love the people that love you? So what if you love your friends and your family? Even the tax collectors do that. So that's the part we're going to look at next, is a different type of come follow me from one of his disciples. Um, we would have seen Jesus performing miracles and we would have seen these disciples over and over again being really surprised and shocked what Jesus did. Um, we'll get into this in a minute, 
But I wonder, as we attempt to follow Jesus, as we say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to learn about you. I'm going to read about you. I'm going to imagine what life like with you is like, and I'm going to try to live that way in my everyday life. Are we ever shocked? Are we ever surprised? Or has it become stale and boring? Because we've heard it before, and we're just not really even thinking it through. Sometimes the scriptures just hit you different when you really imagine yourselves there. Like, what would you really do if you had really been there physically and saw some of these things? As you read through the scriptures, I would encourage you to do that. Slow down and really imagine yourself on the scene. We would have also seen him, I'm looking at chapter 6, we're not going to read that chapter, This is giving to the needy. In that time, so many people had so many needs that it seemed impossible. Think about the loaves and fishes when the people needed to be fed. It seemed impossible. There's no way we can feed all these people. And Jesus says, you don't need to worry about that. Go and do this. And they did it, and everybody was satisfied. Those are the kind of miracles we're talking about should still just wow us today. Um, He talks about prayer. And then, as he goes, some other disciples come on the scene, in particular, Matthew. And I've already kind of hinted at this, but Matthew was a little bit different. So let's go ahead and read um, that part of the scriptures. Let's read Matthew chapter 9, and there will be a slide up here, starting with verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, and from there is Jesus doing a bunch of crazy miracles, um, healing people, restoring demon-possessed people, him talking about things, shocking people. That's what the from there means. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So if you've heard this before, bear with me. Of course, my notes just want to keep falling. I may just take that um, as a sign. But you might have heard this before, that tax collectors were not popular. Um, And that's because there was a very high likelihood that they were taking much more than they should have taken. Even now... Nobody's like, I love paying taxes. Um, Nobody loves it, but we understand the need for it. And at that time, it really was an exploitation of a very high degree. Um, And so someone who was a tax collector wasn't inherently evil, but they just tended to be people who were thieves um, because they took too much. They certainly were thieves in the eyes of the people who had to pay these taxes. And so... 
if you're a disciple that's following Jesus and you've been there through the loaves and fishes, you've been there through the Sermon on the Mount, you've been there when he's healed, you've been there when he's sharing, sharing all of these, you know, nuggets of golden wisdom um, just in the private rooms. And then he goes up to Matthew and says, I want you to follow me as well. Like, honestly, what is our nature making us feel in those moments? And it might have been a while since you thought about this. So I'm giving you a moment here to really think about, you know, these disciples had been with Jesus, but they weren't perfect. We know that they did some not Christ-like things, even later on. Um, they, their hearts hadn't been fully transformed. They didn't fully understand his message yet. And so what does it look like when we're following Jesus, and then all of a sudden somebody comes on the scene that's an enemy or a perceived enemy even? I'm sure there were lots of conversations that didn't make it into this book um, about that. But we know that they did go over to Jesus' house because the Pharisees also landed there. They were like the social media followers who are just going, oh boy, I cannot wait till you do something that's not just a little bit wrong, but really wrong. And going and eating at a tax collector's house was a pretty pretty crazy thing to do, especially if you're claiming to be speaking for God, you know. So the Pharisees, I'm going to remind you of the question, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? That's implying, by the way, that he wasn't already eating with sinners, which is kind of funny, I guess, to me, um, even before the tax collectors. Um, And Jesus uh, doesn't really like answering questions when they're posed to him. If you read through the scriptures and you just look at all the questions that are posed to Jesus, he does this thing that I like to do with my own students in class a lot. When they ask me a question, I bounce a question back to them because I know they can learn more from it. They can internalize that knowledge, but it can be frustrating, I guess. Um, but certainly my students would say it's frustrating. Um, But he tends to answer questions with questions. He tends to ask many, many questions, Jesus does. He tends to straight up answer very few. So we hear, we get to this part, and he's answering a question. And the most interesting part of this is he's answering a question that wasn't even posed to him. It was to his disciples. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And then Jesus answered, And there's a lot of theories maybe of why Jesus answered that question, but I'm paying attention to the answer. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That's a quote from scripture. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And this would have been very shocking to the Pharisees. They had spent their whole life to not be called sinners. Um, 
And then Jesus, like he does, gives a lot more parables. So before I kind of bring this in a different direction, I'm going to really encourage you. Uh, last week, we talked about starting the new year with an intention for prayer being a part of your daily life. I would also encourage that reading the scriptures be a part of your daily life or weekly life, wherever you're at. Um, and if that seems like a really big ask, maybe just get on board with this reading of Matthew. We've already looked at a couple of different verses. We've already referenced a few others. And if reading the whole book of Matthew seems overwhelming, just start with the Sermon on the Mount. That's a really good one. Reading the words that Jesus spoke in the Bible. That's how we can learn from him what he meant by follow me. And so as they leave that place and they're properly shocked, there are so many more parables. I know one year for Rock and Summer, Rock and Summer is the, um, is, it's kind of like vacation Bible school that we do at the Rock and a church does each week. It's more than that. Um, but it's for the kids there. And one year, our whole thing was about parables true seekers. And that was a really fun year. I really liked that year. It was several years ago. And um, we learned about a lot of parables. And at that time, I found that as the adults, we would kind of have a little get together. And then we would say, this is the parable we're looking at for today. And we would kind of go into all the different places. But then when you tell a child about a parable, they don't overanalyze it like that. You tell a child the kingdom of heaven is like, or having faith is like a mustard, you know, I'm not going to get into this parable, but it's like a mustard seed. It's small, and then it grows. And kids go, wow, mustard seeds are small, but they grow to be kind of big leaves. That's awesome. And we're getting into like, well, what did he exactly mean? Why did he pick that? Um, and there's many others like that. And so sometimes we just need to come to this like children do. Um, and as we spend time with Jesus, as we follow Jesus, he reveals more and more to us about what things mean. So he gives several, if you read the rest of Matthew, there are several more parables. There are several more healings. Some of them are pretty wild. Some of the miracles are pretty wild. I can't say that I fully understand exactly what actually physically happened the whole book of Matthew. I can't say that. Um, but what I do see is Jesus leading the disciples on. And in chapter 10, he gets the 12 disciples. You know, they're kind of like the 12 at this point. And he says, now you're going to do what we've been doing. Okay, you're going to go and do what we've been doing together. I've kind of showed you, um, and I'm not going to stop, but we're going to do this thing together. He showed them, and now they're going to continue on. Jesus says in chapter 10, I'm not going to read that whole scripture, but he says, you know what? You're going to be persecuted. There are going to be places that do not want to hear what you have to say. Expect it. Um. It doesn't mean that you're not doing what I've asked you to do, but, it, but it's going to happen. Some people are going to love what you're saying, 
and they're going to follow me too, and other people are really going to not like you. And you don't have to force them to believe everything you say. It's not your job. You'll leave that town, and you'll go somewhere else. Um, he also says, don't be afraid. God, you're worth. You have a high worth to God. Don't be afraid. You're worth everything, essentially. And God the Father, he's with you. You're not going to go do this on your own. So at this point, I would like to show you a quote from Dallas Willard. And I believe this exact quote we have actually seen before. Um, I think it's been a while. Um, But I'll go ahead and read it. A disciple is a learner, a student, an apprentice, a practitioner. Disciples of Jesus are people who do not just profess certain views as their own, but apply their growing understanding of life in the kingdom of the heavens to every aspect of their life on earth. And so we see that word apprenticeship there. That's kind of why I chose it, because I've heard this quote before, and in my mind, that helps me really understand what it means to follow Jesus. It's an everyday thing, and I'm constantly learning. If all I have are the words that I speak and nothing else, then what I'm teaching other people is just to say the right things too. But then on the flip side, you read this and you think, this is a big task. Applying your understanding of who Jesus was and what he calls to us in every aspect of life on earth. I didn't do that today, all day, 100% of the time. I didn't. But as I look back on my life, particularly maybe the last 15 years, 20 years, I do see where Jesus has completely transformed my heart. And that has transformed my actions. Adam has described it, Pastor Adam has described it kind of like this. Um... The way of Jesus is deeper and simpler than we make it out to be. It's deeper in the sense that it's not a surface-level belief. Just believe only. Um, And that's not saying belief is wrong, but just a surface-level belief. Hey, I like what Jesus is putting out there. I agree with that. Okay? That's a pretty shallow thing. There's a deepness to the way of Jesus. But that doesn't mean it's so complicated that it's unattainable, that we need to figure it all out before we even start. And I think that that's a big barrier to a lot of people who have an earnest desire to learn who Jesus is. This way of Jesus is not exclusive. If 2,000 years ago, about, Jesus called a tax collector who was at his table collecting taxes more than he should have, if that's the guy Jesus said, hey, follow me, then certainly he's calling us to follow him as we are right now today. 
it starts now. It's not exclusive. The kingdom of heaven did break forth with Jesus. The veil between heaven and earth, that ch- there was a change there. You don't have to understand everything that happened or that is happening. But we see the kingdom of God breaking forth with Jesus. We see the words of Jesus saying, the kingdom of heaven, pray that the kingdom of heaven would come on earth, that the kingdom of God would come on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus gave a very short prayer, and that's in it. That's the prayer. He said, if you don't know how to pray, pray like this. And that's part of the daily prayer. So when I think about this, there's so many big ideas. Um, kind of when we give messages, we give big ideas. But when I think about it, right now this week in our church, these are the things that I am kind of thinking where we're at or possible fears of people in the church. Jesus is not sending us into an unknown abyss. He's not sending you out there to do something by yourself. Okay? He calls you to follow and go with him. Now, we don't have the walking, talking Jesus that we can physically see and actually follow him in that way. But we know we have the Holy Spirit. We know that we have Jesus' example in scriptures, and we can also make connections to the living God through him, through the Holy Spirit. He's not calling us anywhere he isn't already at. So whether you're sent to China, I think I always think to China because when I was a kid, that's what they always said. You know, you raise money, the Lottie Moon offering, China, and that seemed so far away to me as a child. And I remember thinking, is God going to call me to go to China? I can't do that. So that seems, and God does call people to all over the world. Um, Could be a new job. It could be just a new friendship. Could be a new ministry. A way for you to serve this church or the people of this neighborhood. It could also just be a tough conversation you really don't want to have with someone you love or someone you work with. He's already there. He's with you. You follow him into those situations, into those places. And Jesus invites everyone to follow him. This is the second one. He equips us for the work as we go. So the disciples, they held a lot of jobs. The ones we saw, fishermen and tax collector. Even the Pharisees. We know that some of them were completely transformed. We know that some of the Romans were completely transformed and gave up a lot of power to follow the way of Jesus. There's no prerequisite to follow Jesus. Now, when we follow him, he does call us. He does transform us. But we get to learn from him. So we don't have to worry about that part. 
because he's as invested as we are in what's happening in our soul at the deepest level. We are transformed. But that happens as we go. I want to read um, just a short passage in this book, The Reckless Way of Love. Um, this was not something I had actually originally planned to speak on tonight, um, but I'm just going to read a couple of points in it because this is a book that I keep by my bedside table, and I really love the writings of Dorothy Day. She was a lay Catholic person about 100 years ago, um, and she kind of straddled two war worlds. There was a lot of social justice issues she was dealing with, with working with people in poverty, but she was also a Catholic person in the 20s and 30s so, and, and on. So there were a lot of issues she was dealing with, um, and she didn't always do it perfectly. And so there's a lot of ways I think I kind of identify with her. Um, not that I'm following her, I'm following Jesus, but there's something that she says when she, there's a writing that she has when she's quite a young woman um, that I think is good for us to hear. And she does reference the Isaiah 2-3. He will teach us his way so that we may walk in his path, paths. And she's writing a letter, and she starts by saying, I'm reading the book of Acts, and parts of it are hitting me very differently than they used to. And then she says, I know it seems foolish to try to be so Christ-like. But God says we can, whilst his command be therefore perfect. She's struggling with this idea of this high calling that we're called to be. The longer I live, the more I see God at work with people who don't have the slightest interest in religion and never read the Bible and wouldn't know what to do if they were persuaded to go inside a church. And she kind of elaborates on specific people. She says, the main thing is to never get encouraged at the slowness of people or results. People may not be articulate or active, but even so, we do not ever know the results or the effects on souls. That's not for us to know. We can only go ahead and work with happiness at what God sends us to do. And then towards the end of this letter, she says, It has always seemed to me we are bound to have an ebb and flow in our lives, like the tides. And then moving on, to be simple as little children, to live in the presence of God, to love God and his creatures, to do away with all suspicion, anger, contention, and lack of brotherly love, to do the little things each day as well as we can and to start in all over again each morning, refreshing ourselves, stealing our wills. This is what we need to keep in mind. And then she ends with being thankful that God has already been in her life so long. This was at the very beginning of her life, and we know her life was transformed because she did this really hard work that a lot of people persecuted her for, and she got a lot of hate on both sides 
of the aisle, so to speak, for a long time. I also think about Pastor Bud when he was going in to have his double lung transplant, and it was real serious and real scary. And I think about myself being encouraged by his faithfulness going into that, knowing how hard it was going to be. Um, but that came after years of following Jesus and thinking about all what Jesus went through and tapping into that and saying, I'm following Jesus, and he was transformed. And so to end, there's a couple of questions for reflection. And so you'll see the questions up here, and Kelly's going to play for just a couple minutes, not a very long time. But the questions are, what have you learned from your apprenticeship with Jesus? If I use that word, does it make you think differently? Is, there, is the Holy Spirit using your imagination? And then what do you want to learn from him? What haven't you learned yet that you really want to learn? That goes into, that leads right into a prayer. Then what are the places in your life that Jesus is calling you to follow him into? It doesn't have to be a physical place. Like I said, it could just be a friendship, a conversation, a new routine. He's there. If he's calling you, he's already there starting that work and doing that with you. Lord, we thank you so much for the words of Jesus, but that we also get to read about Jesus's life. As much as I want to have so much more, I thank you for what we do have. I thank you for the community where we get to figure out what all this means. How does it work in today's world? What does it look like for our church to do this? Lord, we ask you, that you would give us faith and courage to take steps that you're calling us into. I ask that people who do not know you and the wonderfulness it is to follow you, that they would. We ask you to equip us, to teach us what we need to know, to comfort us when we're overwhelmed or ashamed of not getting it right, we ask for discernment 
that we would be able to interpret and learn and abide by what you want for our church in this neighborhood today in our lives. We need your guidance, God. Please give us eyes and ears to hear your words and your calling on our hearts. Tonight's benediction was written by our kingdom partner, Aubrey Smith. May we drink deeply from the living water that Jesus offers, taking his life into ourselves and receiving all that he is. May our roots be strengthened in the soil of Jesus' teachings and example. May we cling tightly to him through all seasons, releasing our grip on the things the world trusts. May we find flourishing life in the light of Jesus, and may the spring spirit of Christ transform us to be more like him as we walk with him. May God grant us fruitfulness in our lives lived in Christ. May his life be at work in us to show us God's heart, to give us Christ's freedom, and to draw others towards the living water found only in Jesus. Go in peace.